Okay, well, hello and uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Ashley. I'm husband to Jess and father to Evan and friend to many. Uh, it is my pleasure this morning to, to help us to serve us in the quest for treasure. Now, I'd like to start by beginning, uh, I'd like to start by asking us to consider how we would answer the following question. What is your greatest treasure? Clearly, they found some treasure. What is your greatest treasure? Now, if we were to find some way of winding the clock back to the middle of June this year and uh, transporting ourselves a few thousand miles to the east to Russia, we'd potentially have the opportunity to sit down with England football manager Gareth Southgate for a bit of a coffee, a chidwag. And uh, if we did so, I can imagine the conversation might go a little bit like this. Gareth might say, well, do you know what, Ash? At the moment, our entire focus as a team, all of our efforts, all of our energy is entirely devoted to winning that World Cup trophy. Everything from what we eat to when we sleep to how we train, even to what we wear, all of that is focused on that ultimate goal of World Cup success. Now, that was a hypothetical conversation, but I can imagine that that, that conversation probably wouldn't be a million miles away from the truth. For Gareth, for Harry Kane, for Raheem Sterling, indeed for most of the nation it felt like for that month, our treasure was that World Cup trophy. And I'm, I'm hoping that most of us have recovered in the time since. But you know what, guys? We all have treasure, don't we? Things that we hold dear, things that we delight in, things that we love and we long for. Around 2,000 years ago, someone burst onto the scene who spoke about the greatest treasure. God became man in the person of Jesus, and he spoke about treasure that would be for all people in all places at all times. It wasn't just limited to the, the superstar football players, to those who would maybe get onto a show like The Apprentice or X Factor or ITV's Love Island. No, indeed it was treasure for all people and it was and still is the greatest treasure. Now this treasure had been spoken about before. In fact, from the very beginning of time, we find it in our Bibles in the book of Genesis. And as history rolls on, there were people called prophets who continue to speak about this treasure. But something really significant happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus burst onto the scene. You see, he spoke about it with more consistency, more clarity, and more conviction than humanity had ever known before. And um, we're going to hear some, some, some words, a bit of a story that was actually referenced earlier on. These are words of Jesus recorded by a friend of his called Matthew. And this story um, just give us some insight into the treasure. So it's Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44 that we're looking at. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So what is the treasure? What is the treasure that has been promised from the beginning of time? What is this treasure? Well, it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, it might say the kingdom of God. The two terms are interchangeable. 
But nonetheless, it was a significant part of Jesus' teaching. He talked about it all the time. So if he talked about it all the time, it would be quite helpful for us to understand what it actually is. What does it mean? Now, I tried to come up with an explanation myself, and I thought, well, that's ridiculous. Clearly, there have been people who've thought about this for a few thousand years. So I've got some help from a, a, a man named Sam. Sam is a pastor in Oklahoma in America. And this is what he says about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the presence and powerful lordship of the person of the king himself, Jesus. The kingdom is known and seen wherever Christ is acknowledged, where his subjects are saved, where his enemies are vanquished, and where his ways are obeyed. The kingdom of God, then, is anywhere or anytime or anyone over whom Jesus Christ exercises lordship. The kingdom is the king reigning in hearts and minds. So the kingdom is primarily about the king. We cannot speak of the kingdom apart from the king, and the king is Jesus. Okay, so all that stuff that Sam Storm said sounds lovely, it sounds fantastic, but you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, that's, that's all good, but what does it actually look like? What does this kingdom of heaven look like? Well, our story today will just give us a bit of a window into that. It won't give us the entirety of it, but just a bit of a window in. And in weeks to come, we'll find some other windows as well. But let's look at the first one. I'll just take a quick sip. We'll dig into our story in a bit more detail now. I'll read it again. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So in the context, the culture of the time, and actually in many places of the world still, when there are rumors of wars or difficulty or trouble in a nation or in a land, people start to get just a little bit nervous. They think, well, what might happen to my family? What might happen to my home? What might happen to my possessions? I just don't know. And oftentimes, what people would do was they would, they would gather their prime possessions, their key stuff, and actually hide it. They'd bury it somewhere on their own land, hopefully for safekeeping. And they wouldn't stick up a big sign saying that my treasure lies right here. No, they would know where it was. It might be 20 meters to the north and 15 to the east, but they would know where it was. Now, for those of you who've ever read a book about uh, lost treasure or uh, watched any films, you'll be aware that oftentimes those who bury the treasure will sometimes die without the knowledge of where the treasure is being passed on. And uh, I don't want to read things into the story that aren't necessarily there, but what we, what we find in the story is treasure hidden in a field. It's owned by someone. Oftentimes, a landowner would, fight, would, uh, find, would employ someone else to work their land, to plough the land, to dig and do agricultural things. You, you, bear, I'm from London, just to let you know. So agricultural imagery is, is slightly lost on me. <laughs> but digging and things like that, yeah? <laughs> I've got a patio at home. I've got a herb garden. It sits on the, uh, on the windowsill. But so this man is, is on the land, he's, he's working away, he's beavering away, and he finds treasure there. He stumbles 
upon treasure. And I'd just like for us to notice two main things about this story. Firstly, seeing the treasure, and secondly, valuing the treasure. You see, this man, he, he could have found the treasure, thought, okay, that's an interesting box, but I've got work to do. I need to kind of crack on. I need to get back to the wife and kids later. I don't have time for this. But he saw it. He recognized something in it. He didn't discount it. And you know, often this can be our response to Jesus and his kingdom. We can often be looking right at Jesus, things that he's maybe done or things that he said, and just completely miss him, not see him. It could be right in front of us. In fact, the Bible tells us that our current default human setting is to not recognize him. An early church leader called Paul actually explains this for us. He's writing to a church in a place called Corinth, and he says this, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. He says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The, the God of this age referred to there would be the devil, the enemy. And Paul is saying that we are actually kept from seeing who Jesus really is. We are kept from recognizing him as the king. We are kept from seeing how truly great and how truly he is a treasure. We are kept from that. I just uh, mentioned to you guys that I'm from London. I'm a proud South Londoner. Uh, one, of the, one of the best and biggest exports to come out of South London in, in recent history, in my opinion, would be the BBC show Only Fools and Horses. Okay, I think it's an absolute classic. And it features the main characters are two brothers, Delboy and Rodney Trotter. They are market traders. They are interesting guys. They're wheeler dealers. So they like to sell, sorry, buy low, sell high. Get it right, Ashley. Yep. Like to buy low, sell high. But oftentimes their products aren't of the best quality. They're often faulty or they've maybe come to them by interesting means. Okay. But these guys somehow over decades managed to make a bit of scraper living and just to get by. And in one episode, it's a 1996 Christmas special, they're in their garage with a man named James. Now, James is the father of Del Boy's partner, Raquel. James happens to be someone who knows a thing or two about antiques. And as the three of them are there in the garage, James spots a watch at the side and sees, oh, the watch has got a bit of an engraving there. It says, um, it says Harrison. That's really interesting because, you know, Harrison is a very well-known watchmaker. That, that could be worth a little something. Now, these guys, Rodney and Delboy, they'd had the watch in their garage for years and years and years and years. All they thought was, oh, it's just a watch, really. There's, there's nothing to it. There's no value to it, is there? But James says, no, you want to you wanna get this checked out. There might be something in this. Now, fast forward through the episode. They actually end up taking the watch to be valued. They take it to, uh, to auction at Sotheby's. The initial bid comes in at over £100,000. They're absolutely blown away, £100,000. Who would have thought it? The bids go up and up and up and up, and eventually it goes for more than £6 million. These guys are blown away. The watch had been in their garage for years, something of immense value right under their noses, but they didn't see the value. They didn't recognise it. These guys struggled for years, and right there was the watch. You see, they needed some help. They needed someone from the outside to come in and to give them some insight at what they actually had in front of them. And that man was James Turner. 
But, you know, we also need help, don't we? We also need help to see God's kingdom as treasure. So is there any help at all for us? Well, I'm glad to say that there is, and Paul, in speaking to that church in Corinth, he goes on to say the following. So this is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So God himself comes and helps us. The same God who created the heavens and the earth by his very word, who spoke light out of darkness, comes along and helps us to see that he actually is glorious. He actually is a treasure. God helps us. So what, what, do we, what do we do with that? How do we grow in this aspect of seeing God's kingdom as treasure? Well, let's say firstly we can look. We, we ought to look at Jesus. We see him most clearly in the Bible. I would say maybe even more clearly in the gospel accounts of his life. But if you're looking for like the, the, the triple espresso shot of the magnificence and the glory of Jesus you do well to focus in on the events surrounding his death, his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension up to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. There, most clearly, we see him as treasure, as valuable. Okay, so we can look to Jesus in the Bible. We can also look in communion. We took bread and wine last week, and Jason explained to us that when we take bread and wine, we are remembering just that we're remembering Jesus giving himself willingly on the cross for us suffering a gruesome death in our place the bread represents his body broken for us the blood represents his blood spilt for us as we take communion again we're looking to Jesus we also look in song we've sung some fantastic songs today hopefully when we sing we're not just mindless we're actually taking the words in and it's coming from somewhere in the heart. But as we sing, you know, we, we, we sing to God, but we also sing to one another. We actually, in a way, point one another to Jesus again. Okay, so we look, but looking isn't actually enough. We also ask for God's illumination, for God's help. We pray that God might give us understanding. We pray that God might help us to to know him and to love him and to recognize him for who he is. If you look at Paul's letters to his churches, he's often, he's often an overflow of prayer in the way that he writes, and he often says that he's praying that they might see Jesus more clearly. It's a consistent prayer of his. He's always praying that they might see. And I would love it for us as a church to be marked by people who, who do two things, who point one another and the world to Jesus and who passionately, diligently pray that we would see him more clearly. So we see in the story, um, the man sees the treasure. Secondly, he values the treasure above all else. See, this, this man working in the field, he was so captivated by the treasure that he went and sold all that he had that he might gain it. He initially actually, um, he initially kind of hides it, then goes away, sells all of his possessions to buy the field that has the treasure in. 
And there's no sense in the story that it's begrudging. There's no sense that he's come away thinking, oh, I could have knocked another 20% off of that. You don't get that. The story says that he did it with absolute joy, which maybe gives us the indication that from his perspective, he's given everything, but he's come away with a cracking deal. He's come away as the absolute winner. He's given everything that he's got, but somehow he's got an awful lot more. Okay? So this man values the treasure highly. Now, it's just worth saying at this point that the, the kingdom of heaven cannot be bought. It's not something that we earn our way into or build our way up to. No, it's impossible. The Bible's very clear in that, actually. The Bible's clear that we receive it as a gift, a free gift to us. I believe the point that the story is trying to make is not that we can earn our way there, but it's that if we were to give everything that we have, it wouldn't even compare with the value of what we receive in God's kingdom. And that's for all of us. Okay? Now, there's a real-life example of that, just to flesh this out for us. It's in our, our friend again, um, Paul, the church leader. And um, I'm, I'm going to read this passage, but before I do, I'd like for us to consider what he's doing here. So Paul is almost setting up a, a set of weighing scales. Now, I'm talking old-fashioned ones, not the, the weird new digital ones. The old-fashioned weighing scales like that. And on one side, Paul lays out his credentials, his CV, the things that are impressive about him. On the other side... He puts relationship with Jesus. Let's see what happens when he puts those two things on the scales. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 11. He says this. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've jumped forward slightly, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church... As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, watch this, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, it's clear to me what has happened there with the weighing scales. All of these things that Paul once held very dear, that everyone around him was very impressed by, Always oh, come from good family stock. He's a holy guy, a righteous guy, very learned religious scholar as a Pharisee. All of those things that he once held dear, everyone else around him was very impressed by. He says in comparison to knowing Jesus, that is worth absolutely nothing. Okay? So Paul clearly sees Jesus as the ultimate treasure. And again, it begs the question, how do we live that out? So how do we value him above all else? Well, I believe that the, the appropriate response for us, for all of us, wherever we've come from today or whatever we're going through in life, the appropriate response is actually to follow him joyfully and wholeheartedly. You see, the man in the story didn't just enjoy looking at the treasure. 
It's not that he sort of stood from a distance and just appreciated how lovely and beautiful it was. That was part of it, don't get me wrong. But he didn't stop there. You see, he had to have it. He had to have it. If it meant selling everything that he had to get to it, he was going to do that. Okay? So we value Christ by not merely looking at him, but by actually following him. You see, when we follow him, we're deciding not to follow ourselves. We're actually saying that he is king and not I. That's what happens when we follow. That's, that's, that's how we uh, assign and communicate ultimate value. And you know, that command, as I said, is, is for all of us. Jesus puts that command out to everyone. He is the king of all people in all places at all times. And, you know, I say the, the response for us is all, in many senses, is the same, is to follow him. But actually, for some of us here, you might say that, do you know what, I'm, I'm just looking in. I'm not particularly familiar with the Bible or with Jesus. I wouldn't really call myself a Christian, but I'm just looking in. I'm just trying to get a feel for this guy. I like the look of him, but I wouldn't quite call him my king. Do you know what? I would say to you that actually today is a great day to make that decision. Okay? If you've seen something about him that you think, do you know what? Wow, he does look glorious. I would actually encourage you today to have a conversation with me, with Stuart, with James, with, with anyone that you've seen up here or on the welcome desk about potentially taking that next step, that first step on the journey of following. For others, others of us here today, we... Um, would say that we've been following Jesus for a number of years. And, you know, the response in that case might be actually just considering again, are there some areas of my life and my heart that I've subtly closed off to the lordship of Jesus? Okay? Is he allowed to have my time on a Sunday morning, but not too sure about a, a Monday morning? Have I maybe tried to keep him away from my finances or my time or my affections that can subtly happen over time and I'm saying this very much to myself okay but for all of us there is a response to follow in some way okay I'm aware that um, I've I've gone over my time so I'm actually just gonna land it there and finish there Stuart's gonna um, come up for us but again if anything in that has spoken to you or challenged you or you you want to find out more, please, 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 please do come and talk to me. Um, whether it's this Sunday or any Sunday, I'm a friendly guy and I'd love to have a chat with you. Thank you.